When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, in my basement on Halloween. And we are here to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Massive deal. <sighs> I'm Garoppolo. I'm a Garoppolo. Garoppolo out. Garoppolo out. Garoppolo out. I can't, I can't Garoppolo anymore. I'm de-Garoppoloing myself he's right so now. He's handsome, though. God, he's handsome. <laughs> Looks like Superman. He does look like Superman. You know what? So we still sometimes, in the past, we have done videos dressed in Halloween costumes. I think you should just dress up as Jimmy Garoppolo, and you just be you. People will be like, man, are you Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, we look very <laughs> yeah, very similar. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Um, all right, so we're actually going to talk about Ohio State football. The playoff rankings came out tonight. I did go trick-or-treating briefly with my children before I had to cut it short, thanks to the stinking playoff committee. <laughs> And my daughter was the cowardly lion, so I wore a pot on my head to be the Tin Man. Nice. But then when I wasn't close to her, if she was a couple houses ahead, I, know you were. Yeah. I was just a pothead. <laughs> <laughs> so that went over big in the suburbs. That was like a good suburban dad joke. Uh, I don't know if it's insensitive. You can be like, can you call? Is, can you call someone a pothead, or yeah. is that insensitive? No, it's not uh, 1973. Okay. All right. So uh, anyway, you guys, this is Buckeye Talk, if I didn't say that. It's our Ohio State podcast. We do it after every game. We do it every Wednesday. You can follow us on Twitter at Tim Bielek, at Bill Landis 25 at Doug Maurice. Mostly make sure you're reading our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, and we're going to get into the playoffs first right now. So props. We had done our playoff predictions where we, if we were a committee member, where we would have placed teams. We agreed on the top three teams. Bill was the only one who had Georgia number one, which was correct. Props to Bill. Thanks, man. But Bill had Ohio State number four. They were six. I had Oklahoma number four. They were five. And Tim Bielek had Clemson number four, and they were number four. So congratulations, Tim. Why do you think you were right? Um, I just believe that when the committee looks at things and the way, what we've learned about them, especially today, kind of confirm my thought that they were looking more at Clemson's quality wins. You know, Louisville, even though they're not that good any, right now, Virginia Tech. Um, I'm missing one. In the- you know what? Auburn. Uh, Auburn, I'm sorry. 
I'm looking at that, and their only loss came when Kelly Bryan play, was out for most of the game with an injury. I think that's the point. And Kirby Hocutt, I was on the call with Kirby Hocutt, the uh, selection committee chairman. He mentioned that. I think he also mentioned it, mentioned it on ESPN. I think that's the best point you made, Tim, in addressing that beforehand. You talked about that injury because the way the committee talked about it, it's it's a little bit like they don't count the loss. So it's like if you don't count that loss, then Clemson's just undefeated. Notre Dame's still ahead of them because Notre Dame's only loss is by one point to number two. But then Clemson's ahead of Ohio State and Oklahoma because Ohio State and Oklahoma both have legitimate losses. And Clemson, with what you pointed out, Tim, sort of doesn't have a loss because they have a, our quarterback was hurt. We lost to a crappy team. And the committee, I think, is kind of ignoring that right now. Yeah, I thought Ohio State was either going to be four or six. Because I didn't think Oklahoma was going to be in the top four. It was just a matter of whether or not they were comfortable ranking Ohio State ahead of them. Clearly, they weren't. Um, so it makes sense to me. I know I didn't pick Clemson to be four, but the, I, Clemson has a solid argument. I think Ohio State has an argument if you dig deep. Um, but as as the season has played out so far, it, I guess it makes sense to me that, that Clemson is four, and I'm I'm glad to see they put Georgia one because they deserve it ahead of Alabama. They Alabama has beat the crap out of everybody. Alabama's schedule has stunk thus far so that has to be taken into account and it was i'm happy for that all right so you know what i'm gonna say this and then i want to get to what matters and if we have the questions lined up somebody asked a question about nightmare scenario for ohio state as it relates to the playoff if if you didn't see that it might be one that just got tweeted to me when i put out for questions but that's what i want to get to because we can talk in circles about the current playoff rankings Here is the caveat that goes with every discussion about the playoff rankings. Yes, the whole world knows that none of the rankings matter until the last one. We know that. That is not like a smart point to make. That's how life works. Nothing matters until it matters. But if you don't ever talk about anything until it matters, you're just going to end up sitting in your basement for your whole life. It's like going on a date and someone says, oh, what are you going on a date for? you going to marry this person? And you're like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to marry him. And they say, well, then why are you even going on the date? It doesn't matter until you find the person you're going to marry. And it's like, well, because it might be fun. Is that allowed? Can we just talk about the playoff stuff and have some fun? No. Okay. No, no, we have to be super serious yeah. all the time. So so that's why we talk about it. And guess what? A lot of you like it. So if you don't like the playoff discussion, then we'll see you on December 3rd. And you can fast forward to the part when we're going to get to like French fries and Austin Mac or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> we'll talk about how Jamarco Jones tweeted that he doesn't like Donato's. Which makes me love Jamarco Jones he even be, more than I loved him. He should if if there were any questions about whether or not Jamarco Jones is an All American, he answered them tonight. All American tackle, all American person, all American American. <laughs> Unless you like Adriaticos. Yeah, also they're tearing down a pizza place on Ohio State's campus and everybody's freaking out. They're tearing down everything on Ohio State's campus. That's true. <laughs> um the question was from Scott Duda, who said lots okay. of head to head matchups coming other than a loss, what's Ohio State's nightmare scenario? Okay. So we're gonna have this discussion right now because this is the one that matters, and it's the funnest of the fun. We we have to have a discussion by saying if Ohio State wins out, because if Ohio State doesn't win out, then there's no discussion. So it's kind of weird, but it's the only way to talk about it. 
we're going to talk about a thing where we are assuming some other teams are going to lose while saying Ohio State's not going to lose. But that's okay. If you cover Clemson, you can have a discussion about let's assume Clemson wins and talk about how Ohio State and Notre Dame and other teams might lose. But you know what? Then go listen to a Clemson podcast. This is an Ohio State podcast. We have to operate under a scenario in which we assume Ohio State wins out. That includes against Wisconsin and the Big Ten Championship game. Otherwise, there's no playoff discussion to be had. So, first, before we get to Duda's nightmare scenario question, which I think is a great question, let's talk about the five teams in front of Ohio State. And do do you think somebody's going to lose. Like when you look at number one, Georgia, number two, Alabama, number three, Notre Dame, number four, Clemson, number five, Oklahoma. Do you think things happen, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, how reasonable is it to assume that some teams in those five are going to lose? One of them has to lose. That is correct. Yeah. Because we Certainly, Clemson and Georgia in the SEC championship game is two undefeated teams as possible. But yes, they would meet then. Um, yeah, I, I think all of them are susceptible. I don't know. There's not one true dominant team in college football, I don't think. Um, Alabama's yet to be tested. and They play LSU this week. Maybe that's it. Um, Georgia nearly lost at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's got tough games left. Has to play Stanford, I think, at Stanford. Notre Dame plays Wake Forest, which is a decent team with a good defense, at Miami. Home against Navy is always tricky. At Stanford to close the year, certainly could lose them there. Clemson has losable games on this schedule. Yeah, so I'm not – if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm not super scared that all of the five teams in front of you right now are going to win out. Yeah, I agree. I think the outside of the SEC with, with Georgia and Alabama, we know one will lose. It's just the nature of the conference championship game. I think the two most likely, just based on the schedule alone, would be Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Because I, Oklahoma yeah. still got to play Bedlam, they still got to play TCU, and they still got to play the Big Twelve title game where they could see Iowa State again. And the way Iowa State's playing, I mean, that is an that is kind of an unexpected wrinkle nobody could have seen coming. And Notre Dame, you just mentioned it: Wake Forest, Miami, Navy's always tricky. Navy's playing very well this season. Stanford, you got to contend with Bryce Love and traveling out to the West Coast. And what hurts I think Notre Dame's in San Diego, actually. That is the West Coast. No, I know. I'm just saying it's not at Stanford. Really? That's interesting. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. But. Yeah. I thought I remember them playing at Stanford. Well, that's beside the point. That, plus, what also hurts Notre Dame, they're not going to be in a conference championship game. Yes. How much do you think that hurts Notre Dame that maybe they need help as well as an, in addition to winning out? They need Ohio State has benefited before from a conference on having a championship game. And, I, and they made the point on the ESPN broadcast, Oklahoma made it the, a year uh, when there was no conference championship game no i meant i meant in 14 i think part like ohio state played its way into the playoff but also the big 12 was removed from the conversation because there were two teams no one could really tell which one was the best and there wasn't a conference championship game to decide it and they left them both out so notre dame is like quasi in the s in the acc but you, i don't think you could even try to consider them an acc champion because they don't have to go through the entire league. For them, you'd have to weigh not ha- not being in conference versus just a ridiculous schedule where their only loss is to the number one team in the country at in your place sure. by a single point. Sure. I think Oklahoma's going to lose. Oklahoma seems like a flawed team. I mean, everybody sees that. There, the, the committee chairman talked about it. Kirby Hocutt on the conference call with reporters was saying 
They like Oklahoma's offense. They have questions about Oklahoma's defense. Anybody who watches Oklahoma sees that. I don't think Oklahoma gets through Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, and the Big 12 championship game without losing somewhere. So if if we're going to like – if you're an Ohio State fan and you're freaked out about Oklahoma being ahead of you right now, Oklahoma has a lot of chances to pad its resume. And if Oklahoma does win out, that's a problem for Ohio State. I don't think there's any way Oklahoma wins out. I don't think Notre Dame wins out. Right, they're a great running team. People are kind of impressed right now. I don't think they went out, and at the very least, I don't think both Notre Dame and Clemson went out. Clemson's got NC State this week on the road, and that's a pretty decent NC State team. And then after that, it's Florida State, which is having an awful year. The Citadel, which has a football program apparently, and they end the year with South Carolina before the ACC championship game, which would likely be against Miami. And and South Carolina is okay. South Carolina is decent. South Carolina beat NC State. That's- yeah, South Carolina is six and two. I don't know necessarily how good a six. They're a six and two team that's not ranked, which says a lot in itself that you can yeah. be a six win football team this year and this time of year and still not be in the top twenty five. That speaks volumes. They don't have a yeah. They don't have a great NC State. Just kind of an okay win. So here's I think here's where I am. Here's where I am, and this is I used to and and if you want to be this way, this is great. I have sort of changed how I do the playoff thing. I love. God, I loved it. I was so excited when the playoff came around because the BCS was such a joke. And I was like an AP poll voter, and I was so into it. And I was so into that all the other voters were dumb, <laughs> and I was smart. And the committee came around, and like the committee kind of like like ranked teams the way I did. And I felt like vindicated by it. So I just wanted to sit around and say, okay, here's this scenario. Okay, what if this team beats this team, but this team beats this team? And I just did it all year and i loved it it's year four i'm old i'm jaded my bones creak i'm not doing that anymore if you want to do it ohio state fan that's great tim if you want to do it that's great bill if you want to do it that's great if my lovely wife let's tell a domino's story real quick this got real thanks wifey (laughs) this got real on halloween we tried to get pizza at domino's at five o'clock and my wife went to get it she said it was like black friday there were pizza cookers at Domino's yelling at each other. There were 15 people in line. There was a guy there who had ordered his pizza in the morning to have it ready at 5 o'clock, and he was in the 15-person line. It wasn't ready. They were overwhelmed by the Halloween pizza demand at Domino's, and so now it's 9 o'clock at night, and I'm just getting the Domino's that we thought we were going to get at 5. But – it's crazy. It all, all hell broke loose. It's crazy to think what might have happened if uh, Domino's was good. It does. It does smell pretty good right now. I will say, although I, I mentioned this to Bill and Doug before we started, it's similar to the. I mentioned in how in Hawaii they have a tradition where Pizza Hut is like the go-to for everybody in the island on Halloween. They map out their day around you know what, how they get Pizza Hut, which one you go to, what you want. It's a. It's. From what I've been told, I never got to experience this in my time there, hanging out with my family for a couple of years there, like off and on for a few years. But it would have been interesting to experience. I don't know if I would have enjoyed the process of it because it sounds crazy, but I would have liked to at least see what it looks like in person. It's one of those interesting human phenomena I'm always kind of curious about. That's the craziest tradition I've ever heard of, by the way. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty strange. The first time Tim was like, do you guys know about the tradition in Hawaii of eating Pizza Hut on Halloween? And it's like, What? Like that's a. Do you guys know of the tradition in Idaho 
of eating a Burger King on St. Patrick's Day? And I was like, no, it I sounds, don't know about that. It sounds like, like a made-up thing you would tell someone so that then they would go ask someone from that place about it and then make, just to make them look like a jerk. But it's true. Now, here's the thing. Have you confirmed, Bill, that it's true? I have not. I have not confirmed it either. This is a Tim Bielek allegation. Tim's trying to get me beat up the next time I'm in Honolulu. What's up with this Halloween thing? And then, like, I've insulted the guy's family by asking him the question. (laughs) Well, my sister-in-law is from Hawaii, native of Hawaii. So if I'm if if I'm wrong, then somehow she's wrong, and I have no reason to doubt she's wrong. We'll get her on the podcast. Maybe she's setting you up too. Future podcast guest. So do you? This is going to take you down the road you just said you don't really want to go down, but I'm curious. Ohio State fans are going to worry about Oklahoma. I feel like Ohio State fans, to a certain extent, have to worry about the Big 12. If one of those teams, Oklahoma State and TCU are at the moment behind Ohio State, but both still have to play Oklahoma, they've already played each other. Um, Those are two teams that could have one loss and win the Big 12 and, and on the way beat Oklahoma. Let me ask you this. Which conference do you think the committee overall respects more for its overall conference strength and sort of the way it plays football? Big 12 and Big 10? Big 10. Big 10. I think the only thing that would keep a Big 10 champ out in favor of a Big 12 champ is a direct head-to-head win. I think like I think if Ohio State continues to play well, it's possible they could pass Oklahoma anyway, but I don't think the committee would have any trouble having Ohio State ahead of Oklahoma State, one loss Oklahoma State, one loss TCU, when they don't have this direct staring you in the face, hey, Oklahoma beat Ohio State in Ohio Stadium, that you have to rationalize. Otherwise, you're just saying, yes, common opponents matter, right, Bill? That was one of the mm-hmm. things on the broadcast that... That's one of the main things they said, but I think you could do enough rationalization of Ohio State's just better offense and defensive balance, beaten Penn State, beaten Wisconsin. I think they'd be in. I think it's just this nagging head-to-head, which you really, really, really have to feel feel and explain in a very strong way if you're going to do it. And as you pointed out when we were talking the other day, Bill, you said the head-to-head only matters if they view the teams equally. Right. But you really have to make your point of why you don't view them equally if you're going to do that. Yeah, I, get, I have like a, 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 a theory on the committee that when they talk about balance, they're actually just talking about defense and whether or not you're good at it. Um, TCU is good, a good defensive team. TCU is the one that would scare me the most out of those teams. If you're, if, I mean, outside of Oklahoma because they have the head-to-head, but if it's Oklahoma State or TCU, TCU scares me more than Oklahoma State. TCU has the number 10 defense in the country and the number 33 offense. That's pretty good balance. And I think that the committee ultimately favors good defense. All right, so here comes – this is the basic question, though. Just assuming that college football operates the way it operates, yes. how close are you guys on winning their end? Like, how, what percent true is that to you? Like, if you're telling Ohio State fans, just worry about your team. Ohio State, if they win out, they're in. I'm blank percent sure of that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm probably 80% sure that teams in front of them are going to lose. So that's what you're asking. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, either teams in front of them lose or that <clears throat> somehow 
Ohio State could pass them and get in even if they I do don't think lose. like Ohio State's remaining schedule is not great. Um, Michigan State's ranked, which is a good thing for Ohio State. Uh, I think Michigan can play its way back to being ranked by the time those two teams play. And then Wisconsin should remain ranked, I think, even if it loses once or twice before the Big Ten title game. Um, so it's okay. It's not as good as some of the other teams have left, that some of the other teams have left. But you can also kick the crap out of everyone on your way to the playoff, too. They, they talked tonight. Hellcut talked tonight. They put in Georgia number one ahead of Alabama because of Georgia's win over Notre Dame and because Alabama's schedule of strength is not as good. But then someone said, well, then if Alabama's schedule strength isn't that good, why is Alabama number two? And why did you talk as if there was a gap between one and two and then the discussion that he said is was tight from three to seven? And his answer to that basically was, Alabama kicks the crap out of everybody. Did he say game control? Did he, game control make a comeback? He didn't say game <sighs> control. And that's sort of what I was talking about with my Ohio State-Penn State questions, like game control. Penn State controlled that game for 55 minutes. Um, He basically said, well, we know Alabama hasn't played anybody, but you just watch them, and they beat the crap out of everyone, and they're really good. And that mattered enough. So there was a point there that I do think, and this is one of those, do you guys think it matters? And we'll get to all, we're all going to give a percentage on this, and not a, Divided up 50 ways percentage, a single percentage. But doesn't it matter how Ohio State wins? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Style, they've always told us style points matter when it comes to these kind of things. I mean, if Ohio State doesn't beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing three years ago, I don't know if they get into the playoff and then eventually win the national championship. It, I, I largely think because they blew them out by that wide of a margin, they almost could not ignore that. Yeah. Like... And this is where it helps, like, okay, Penn State and Kirby Hokutch said they really like Penn State. Penn State went to Iowa and won on a miracle. You know what would look really good? Go to Iowa, win by 30. Yeah. Because Iowa, Iowa's not great. Iowa beat Iowa State. Iowa almost beat Penn State. So if Ohio State goes and runs them off the field, that leads to the argument. And in the end... In the end, this is really the only argument. Are they one of the four best teams? Yeah. And if you add, we beat Iowa 45-10 to 10 on top of the Penn State win, on top of the way you looked the last five weeks, on top of beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game, that helps, right? Yeah, it does. And I think, like, if ideal scenario for Ohio State the next two weeks, heading into Michigan, because Illinois doesn't matter, is... Beat Iowa handily, Michigan State play a tough game with Penn State this week in East Lansing, and then you beat Michigan State handily and like leave no doubt that you are better than Penn better than Penn State to a point that it, or that's not suggested maybe by the thirty nine thirty eight score you just beat them by. Exactly, and it, it does benefit. I wonder how we discussed this earlier. The idea of how much by proxy of a of helping Ohio State, how much that loss Michigan State had at Northwestern hurts Ohio State by a little proxy because Michigan State fell in the rankings. If they were top twenty, I don't think it does. I don't. I, mean, I, I think beating I, a top twenty team though means sure. means more than beating a fringe top twenty five team. Of course it does, but I think what you wanted to know is whether or not the committee thinks Michigan State is good, and by putting Michigan State twenty fourth, having just lost to Northwestern, they think they're good because I. I I think it's actually kind of hard to make an argument that Michigan State deserves to be ranked at the moment. They got waxed by Notre Dame, right? They lost by 
38-18, I think it was, at home to Notre something, Dame. Something like and that. And then lost in triple overtime to, like, an average Northwestern team. I think, like, in the end, and Michigan they, State's probably just as good as Northwestern, but for some reason the committee values them higher than that at the moment. But and, and they also needed a touchdown at the end of regulation just to force overtime than Michigan State. And I'll tell you what, that's another, again, talking common opponents, if Ohio State gets in a discussion where they're being compared with Notre Dame, how they play against Michigan State is going to matter when Notre Dame already has a dominant win over Michigan State on the board. Yeah. So all this stuff matters. Okay, one number. What is your a, a nervous Ohio State fan, a Buckeye Talk podcast fan, assaults you in the grocery store and says, are you Tim Bielek? I love Buckeye Talk. Can we take a selfie? And we'll, I'm going to also I'm going to put it on Instagram, and I'm going to tell everybody that I met Tim Bielek. But first, what is your percentage of Ohio State wins and they're in? I'm nervous about it, Tim. What's the percentage win and they're in? Bill said eighty. I'm about eighty six percent. I know it, that's kind of a random number, but I was thinking mid eighties because I'm not that confident that. Teams two through five, at least one of them will lose. And when I say teams two through five, I mean the loser of Georgia-Alabama, not included in that discussion. I think with those other four teams in front of Ohio State, at least one is going to lose. That's just the way college football always works. We don't see an upset coming. I mean, wasn't a couple – I'm trying to remember a couple years ago. It was Oklahoma State had a chance. Like, they were number two, and then they trip up at Iowa State when no one in the world saw that coming. Upsets like this happen every year. It is just a matter of who gets tripped up next because now it's November. Now it's when things get serious. Some teams tighten up. Other teams play loose. It's just that that one crazy moment that has to happen. You don't know when it's going to come, but it happens every single year. And that, listen, if you're on the Clemson podcast and you were saying right now, I think Ohio State's going to trip up against Iowa or Michigan State or Michigan or against Wisconsin. That would be a reasonable thing to say. Again, we're not talking about that because if we're talking about that, then we're just talking about positioning for either the Outback Bowl or the Orange Bowl. And we'll cross that bridge when we have to cross it. We're not crossing it right now. Does the Outback Bowl come with ribs? You know what? I think they're <laughs> maybe used to feed you, like, are they the Bloomin' Onions? Like you wake up in the morning and they, there's a Bloomin' Onion in your hotel room? Because here's the thing. At the Fiesta Bowl, there are just bags of Tostitos everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but Tostitos are cheaper than Bloomin' Onions. And also, they're easier to package. You don't have to heat up a Tostito. Yes, and I've been told also at the Chick-fil-A Bowl that there are just not mountains of Chick-fil-A nuggets. There which is are a- not or there are? There are not. Are not? Yes. You're, there are not? They put... One of the playoff bowls in Atlanta called it the Chick-fil-A Bowl and do not have piles of nuggets? I don't think so. Well, Just they, like the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl didn't have like a PS4 for everybody. Well, well, it's also in a stadium where they have a Chick-fil-A inside the stadium, but it's never open on Sundays. Yeah. Go figure. Listen. It'll be open for the national title game. I'll tell you this. <laughs> if there was a college football playoff bowl in Columbus and it was called the Donato's Pizza Bowl... There would be center-cut slices, crustless center-cut slices everywhere. You would not be able to cross the street without having a center-cut, crustless slice thrown at you. So step up, Atlanta. All right. Your number is 86. Your number is 80, or is that a caveat 80? I said said 80-ish. I'll put a hard number on it. Uh, 89. All right. I'm 95. 
thought you were going to price his rate me for a second. Yeah, go, $1, go one, go one up on me and then win the car. 95. I think Oklahoma's going to lose. I think Notre Dame's going to lose. That's a Brian Kelly prediction. Yeah. Um, and I know Notre Dame got through in 2012. I know. Okay. You know, can I, I know we're supposed to be objective reporters and um, if Ohio State ends up playing Notre Dame, whatever. I want Notre Dame to lose because I hate the <laughs> Brian Kelly's nice now narrative. Just embrace being a jerk. Be a jerk. Embrace being a jerk. Coach like a jerk. And maybe you'll win like a jerk. But don't pretend you're something you're not because your team's in the playoff hunt. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> also, I think he's feeling himself a little bit because he said Deshaun Kaiser wasn't ready to go out. And now Deshaun right. Kaiser looks like he wasn't ready to go out. Um, so I think Oklahoma's going to lose. I think Notre Dame's going to lose. I think Clemson could lose. I don't Georgia doesn't really play anybody. It's weird. Auburn plays both Georgia and Alabama still. Mm-hmm. Plus, they played Clemson. It's like, who's making Auburn's schedule? So, like, if Auburn beats Georgia and Alabama, that would be a thing. But I think Georgia's going to get through undefeated to the SEC championship. And Alabama mm-hmm. has LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn. So, three of their final four games are against ranked teams. Who's their uh, BS? We're playing a high school team game. Yeah, I mean Chattanooga State. It's always Chattanooga State, or it might be Chattanooga A and T. Sometimes it's Mercer. Year. Let's see. I'm look look it who up. it is. It's, it's Mercer. The, it's Mercer. Really? <laughs> <laughs> if they put the basketball teams out there, it'd probably be a much more entertaining. Ohio State game. played Mercer in basketball last year, and it did not look like a high school team against a college team because Ohio State was bad at basketball. So I don't think Alabama's going to lose either. So I mean, to me, if you're an Ohio State fan. The most nerve-wracking thing is that idea of two SEC teams getting in, which I think is going to be very possible mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden it just shrinks. So now it's just it's a whole different conversation because we've never had two teams from the same conference before. Once you do that, because kind of you just go through, especially when they didn't put in both Ohio State and Penn State last year, you kind of just think, and Notre Dame was 4-8 and eight last year, you kind of just think, okay – Five for four, five for four, five power conferences, four spots. Hey, Washington lost. Okay, it's five for four. The Pac-12's out. Hey, everybody in the Big 12 lost. Okay, five for four, five for four. Now all of a sudden, if one conference takes two and the independent in the mix, it just gets funky. But I'm still at 95. So now we'll get to Duda's nightmare scenario. What is the nightmare scenario for Ohio State fans that Ohio State has won out Looked good. Maybe they're not 59 nothing everybody, but they look good. Ohio State looks like, yeah, they're probably one of the four best teams. But what would be a nightmare scenario that on December 3rd at noon on Sunday, the day after the championship games, Ohio State fans are going to be sitting there with a knot in their stomach because they Ohio State did what it had to do, and Ohio State fans aren't sure they're getting in. Georgia wins out. Bama wins out in the regular – both teams – in the SEC, went out to the championship game. Notre Dame, Clemson, and Oklahoma all went out. And then Alabama-Georgia goes to double overtime in the SEC championship game, and it ends on, on like a block field goal or something like that. Because even if Ohio State wins the Big Ten, there is no way I could imagine the committee would take would drop a team out for, losing, for being undefeated going to an SEC championship game and losing in double overtime on a block field goal. Yeah, I mean all that. The the two SEC teams shrinks it shrinks the field like you said, Doug. And then um, I actually think that Notre Dame in the end is not that great of a threat to Ohio State. I think if it comes down to Ohio State or Notre Dame, 
all things being equal, I think they take Ohio State. Um, Clemson is an ACC champ that doesn't lose again, and Oklahoma is a Big 12 champ that doesn't lose again. Both get in over, over Ohio State. Yeah, and I think, I think that the two things that are in play there beyond the two SEC teams, one is Clemson, back to the point Tim made. If their only loss is when their quarterback got hurt and they win every other game, and it's like, listen, when their quarterback's healthy, they're awesome. And it's just they're, they're basically undefeated. That would be tough. And if Oklahoma gets its stuff back together again and for the last month while it wins goes, oh, that's the team that won in Ohio Stadium. We missed them for a month. They went away for a little bit, but now they're back. Wow. Baker Mayfield is Baker Mayfield, but they're playing enough defense to really stick at the teams. Yeah, that's how they went to Ohio Stadium and won. Like yeah. it's it's there are things in play. There are kind of those two those two wrinkles with Clemson and Oklahoma's resume that if things go the right way, um the committee could have very strong reason. Now, the one thing in the end would be that SEC <clears throat> loser, if Ohio State's awesome with the title, it's like, are you sure you're putting the SEC loser in? Over one loss, Ohio State. With the title? With no, the title. No, like, that, no. like the committee. So, like, that's nerve-wracking to me as an Ohio State. If you're an Ohio State fan, the SEC championship being undefeated versus undefeated would be nerve-wracking to me. And as Tim said, it goes double overtime. But I think you could be in that room and say, listen, I, I don't know what to tell you. The Big Ten is good. Ohio State is good. They deserve to be in. And the SEC figured out its champ, and we're taking them. We're not taking two. We haven't taken two yet. They don't deserve two. Not when we have all – because the other thing is, too, if we're saying nightmare scenario, it means these other teams are really asserting themselves. Mm-hmm. So if the nightmare scenario is Clemson asserts itself, Oklahoma asserts itself, Ohio State asserts itself, and then you say, you know what? Sorry, SEC loser. You're really good, but we're taking four awesome champs, and we're not looking back. And here's the other – thing that could play into that uh, in the SEC championship game, say both Georgia and Alabama get in, I think Georgia would be more likely to stay in the playoffs with a loss to Alabama than the other way around, simply because of the Notre Dame game. Because if you take Alabama, you take away that conference championship, you give them the loss, that they don't really have much of a resume to stack up to a Notre Dame and Oklahoma and Ohio State. Should those three teams win out, it could be a weird situation where Alabama could go undefeated, lose the SEC championship game, and be completely left out of the playoffs. And I, and I do think Alabama would be going undefeated, having beat LSU, Mississippi State on the road, and Auburn on the road. They do. Year. They do have three ranked teams here at the end in the last month, so they wouldn't have a Notre Dame win. Um, but the, the thing in the end, listen, they do care about championships. So I think there could be things that would that would make an Ohio State fan nervous going into championship weekend. But I think in the end, if they came out and said, listen, it should be a six-team playoff this year, or it should be a five-team playoff, there, we can't separate them. There's no separation between the, the teams that are the top six right now. Everybody wins out, and everybody looks awesome. The only loss is a double overtime SEC C championship game, and they say, we don't know what to do. We are at a loss. It's practically a tie. But you know what in the end we did? We took the four champs. Yeah, it's yeah. possible. Do you think um, Oklahoma could like fifty two forty nine its way to a Big Twelve championship, and then in that scenario, Ohio State gets in over them? 
Yeah. Balanced Ohio State. Yeah. Balance meaning they play defense. Yeah. And I think they'd also be wanting to hope, be rooting for Wisconsin to go in undefeated again in the Big Ten championship game. I think that's a wild. Certainly hope that's a wild card in there. And I don't. Think, yeah. I think if Wisconsin were to lose a game up until then, I'd be absolutely shocked. They're nine right now. They said they're not higher because of strength of schedule. Um, they're going to move up just because a couple, a, a couple other teams are going to lose. Um, but at the very least, they're going to be a top ten team. You know, maybe a top six or seven team by the time they get there. Uh, and I don't. I mean, I'm not. I thought Wisconsin was going to. Wisconsin was my best bet to cover in our weekly national and Big Ten picks because I thought, hey, they want some attention. They'll roll Illinois, and then like Illinois played with them. So yeah, that was not rolled anybody. That, that was mine too. I was I was on the same vein you are, and now Jonathan Taylor's a little banged up. So I don't know who beats Wisconsin, but I also don't think Wisconsin is that great. Ohio All- State, um, or sorry, not Ohio State. Wisconsin goes at Indiana. Home against Iowa, home against Michigan, and then ends the year at Minnesota. Well, Michigan could be interesting if Brandon Peters, you know, continues to play and play if he really builds. Because then all of a sudden that becomes a wild card in the November schedules. We're now up at the 36 minutes. I don't know. We don't know Michigan yet. We have to see what the real Michigan is. The Wilton Spate, John O'Corn Michigan, I don't think was scaring anybody. But if Brandon Peters is at all anything, you want Brandon Peters to be good if you're an Ohio State fan. Yes. Just not good enough to beat you. Right. But you want you want Michigan to show that it is a changed team and then have that win be as valuable as possible. That's yep. like an obvious thing to say. but yeah, the, You want them to have a competent offense to go along with what's a pretty good defense. All right. So let's get some questions ready. Um, we got to get into some food talk. I have uh, a thing I want to bring up. And uh, we also want to make sure we talk a little bit more about – we'll be done. We're done with the playoff. Mm-hmm. Um we want to talk a little bit. We want to make sure we talk about this team. Um, anything more we're thinking about them. Real quickly, though, we want to remind you guys that we are part of a podcast network at Cleveland.com. We want you guys listening to our other podcasts, the Orange and Brown Talk. That's the Browns. They are all over the place. This A.J. McCarron, Jimmy Garoppolo stuff. I don't, I don't know. I check in on the Browns from time to time. I have no idea what to think of any of it. I'm glad they didn't get A.J. McCarron. I would have been fine with getting Garoppolo, but I'm also more fine with losing out and getting the first pick and taking the best quarterback in the draft next year. But anyway, our podcast on the Browns, Orange and Brown Talk, Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Labe, they break it down once or twice a week. We have the Wine and Gold Talk, the Cavs are a mess. Joe Varden and Chris Fedor, you're not going to find better people to talk about the Cavs. They check in at least once a week. The Indians are in the offseason now. They still have some interesting stuff going on. Paul Hoynes, Joe Noga. Um, still checking in on the Indians. So this is all in the Cleveland.com iTunes app, right, or iTunes stream. We have our own. This is Buckeye Talk. You found us there on Buckeye Talk. This is Cleveland.com. is separate. We have those three podcasts on the Browns, Cavs, and Indians, plus I try to do it most Fridays. I missed it last week because it was Penn State week, but take, Takes by the Lake, I talk some other Cleveland sports with other people. So we just want to make sure you're getting in on those Cleveland.com podcasts. Subscribe to the Cleveland.com sports podcasts on iTunes and anywhere else you find podcasts. Bill, what do you want to bring up? So I had a thing happen last week. I was doing some work, and I said I want a coffee, and I wanted a Tim Hortons coffee. We had talked about Tim Hortons on a podcast last week, so I had a craving. Pulled through the drive through 
and said, can I have a large black coffee? And then he said, and I said, you know what? I want a donut too. A little sugar to get me through the night. So can I have a vanilla cream donut? Guy at the drive-thru window said, sorry, man, we're getting ready to close. We're out of donuts. I said, what time do you close? He said, nine. It was 7.15. And my question is, and it's, I, I, it, it's, the wording of it, I think, is tricky. I'm try- so stay with me, I guess. Does it have an F-bomb in it? No, 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 <laughs> okay. no, no. It's just, so like, what is, <clears throat> like, the, the threshold, like, relative to closing time that an employee of a restaurant is allowed to be mad, frustrated, like, essentially deny you service? You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, is it, because in my mind, it sure as hell isn't two hours. Or an hour and no. 45 minutes, whatever it was at that particular Tim Hortons. But I'm just curious what you guys think that window is. Is it 10 minutes? Is it a half hour? I think 15 minutes is the maximum it should be. If you have time to watch a movie in between the time yeah. you, you're you at the drive-thru when the restaurant's supposed to close, you better be getting your donut. And I don't know how you like, make donuts. I can't imagine it's that guy's job to like hand roll the donuts and bake them. But maybe I'm wrong and it is. Yeah. But even still, it shouldn't take two hours to do that, I don't think. No. I, I think donuts might be a difficult case because I don't, I don't imagine that that guy could have – at a restaurant, I think it should be up into the thing because it's like, listen, if your restaurant is open, I'm coming in to get food. Yeah. So if you want to close at 845, then close at 845. And then every you lock the door. This is what happens like here at the library. They lock the door. Nobody else can come in, but they don't kick everybody out immediately. But if you're open till 9, open till 9 does not mean we let the people who we gave food to at 8.45 stay till 9. Right? You would you, walk I in. want food at 8.59. Now, okay, I, that's what I, was ask. I might understand if you're a little perturbed, but I better get it. Otherwise, close. You are a food establishment. If you're open, I want food. Now, if you're a bar and the kitchen closes, then have a separate thing. Close the kitchen. But here's the caveat. I'm not sure that guy could have gone back and made you a donut. If the donuts are gone, like is this like hot chicken takeover? When the chicken's gone, the chicken's gone. Could that guy have made you a donut? No, I don't know that. But I also don't pull in the – like it wasn't like I couldn't have that vanilla cream donut. It was like I couldn't have anything other than the coffee that I ordered. Food was not an option. From this is the vibe that I got. Donuts certainly weren't an option, and food in general seemed like it wasn't an option because it was too much of an inconvenience for that man to make anything an hour and forty-five minutes before it was time to go home. And here's a complicating factor, and I have long advocated this. I have long thought about going into donut PR. I like <laughs> I view donuts. I have thought that donut shops have long missed the opportunity to yeah. offer mini dessert cakes. Oh, what do you want? I think I've talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, what do you right. want for dessert? I don't want ice cream. I want a mini dessert cake. I just saw an ad. We got an ad the other day from Tim Hortons that says, like, come get a donut at 5 o'clock. They are entering the mini dessert cake zone. At the very same time, they are denying you service. I mean, maybe that guy was having a bad day. And I don't mean to sound insensitive to people who work in the service industry. You don't mean to sound like Ari Wasserman. Correct. <laughs> um I just thought it was strange. I thought it was strange, and, like, and it clearly that does not fall within the threshold. But I'm probably more like, I won't go into a restaurant, or I feel weird going into a restaurant like once it's past like 30 minutes till closing. Really? Yeah, I just feel bad. Like I would, I would feel annoyed if I was on the other side of that. So I try not to do that. And it depends. Like if it's 
Um, a fast food place, maybe I feel a little differently, but like I wouldn't go to a sit-down restaurant that's going to close in 25 minutes. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I can understand probably from the employee's perspective, uh, like if it's five minutes to close, like you really don't want to have to make anything else, but you have an out that's an hour, 45 minutes. Again, movie length. There's a, th- there's thresholds. And I, I think, think I could teach myself how to make a donut at that time. Yeah. You could go, like, I'll pay you to let me in, tell me how to make my donut and I'll make the donut. I'll give you extra money to do this. That would be, now that's a great business. Make yeah. your own donut. You can make your own pizzas now, right? Yeah, Are you, you kidding make, me? Make your own. Although they have that. There's a duck donuts in Columbus where you go in. It's just like a plain donut. They drop it in the fryer, and then you get to pick your icing and your topping and all that stuff. I've, can you do cream filled there? No, there's no fill. It's just a cake, oh, wow. round cake donut, and it's just like icing on top. Uh, I have to I'm less excited about this. I have to though. check this place out. Where, do you, where uh, is yeah, it? it's, it's between where we live, between our two places. I'll take you. Oh, sweet. Um, all right, so here's here's the bottom line is – I always wonder when you're eating a nighttime donut, was that donut made in the morning and it's just what's left over? Or is there a second round of midday donuts that are made? But if you're going to have an ad that says come eat a donut at 5 o'clock, I think you have to make a second round of midday donuts. You, you, the ad can't be come, come eat, eat our donut. stale donut. <laughs> that's why, clean out our inventory so that's, we can make donuts for tomorrow. That's why I admire Krispy Kreme because they always have the sign on the, the, on the window that lights up when the donuts are fresh. Are they still free when the light's on? I think so, yes. Yeah. You get like a free glaze when the light's on, right? Yeah. Sweet. And they're so idea. hot, they like melt in your mouth. Yeah. And I'm sure we have heard from Donato's, which I still haven't gotten back to the Donato's guy. If the Donato's guy is listening, I'm a jerk. I'm busy. I'm going to get back to you. We are not ignoring Donato's. We want to take on the Donato's challenge. And we also want to take on the Tim Hortons challenge. That sounds great. When you, when you, when you say... The Nato's Challenge or Tim Horan's Challenge, you make me think of like that show Man vs. Foo where we're going to get like a plate of 40 donuts and you have 20 minutes to eat all 40 or something like that. I ate 100 chicken nuggets. Yeah. I tried to. So um, I think that was wrong. I think you have a lawsuit on your – if you want to go that way, <laughs> that guy, Kevin Kurgis on the Columbus, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I don't get paid unless you get paid. Yeah. Oh, my neck. Yeah. <laughs> like that one when the guy is always like – great acting. Yeah. Oh, my neck. We always say that in my house. Um, oh, my donut. Have you been denied a donut? <laughs> I don't get a donut unless you get a donut. So if you want to file suit, I think you have a strong case. We would testify on your behalf. Um, but otherwise, I think you just you were wronged. And if Tim Hortons wants to make it right, we're here. All right. What about actual uh, football stuff? Do we have any football stuff? We do. Yeah, we got football questions again. Great questions this week. Uh, let's start with a question about the running backs because I wrote a story about this uh, on Tuesday morning on Cleveland.com, and I like shameless plugs. Question was from David McMahon. He says, was Mike Weber in on more passing plays? I think he is a better blocker than Dobbins, your thoughts. And this goes back to the idea that J.K. Dobbins like didn't play for the entire second quarter against Penn State. And I tried to ask Urban Meyer on Monday, like, what's up with that? And maybe I didn't ask it in the right way, but he essentially didn't answer it and said, like, I don't micromanage that. That's on Kevin Wilson, and that's on Tony Alford. Um, We will talk to Kevin Wilson on Wednesday night after having uh, recorded this podcast. Um, But, yes, Mike Weber did play more passing plays than J.K. Dobbins. Mike Weber played more plays total than J.K. Dobbins. Weber played 40. Dobbins played 36. Dobbins was on the field for 15 pass attempts. Weber was on the field for 24. Ohio State's offense moved the ball much more effectively on the whole with Weber in than it did with Dobbins. Most of that being circumstantial because Weber played the entire fourth quarter when Ohio State was slinging the ball around. Um, 
Can I ask another question? You can. And I apologize if you don't know the answer to it, but you researched this. Mm-hmm. Was Weber blocking a lot? No. When he, when so, he, or was he going out in little rounds? 24 pass plays, he was on the field five times he was kept in as a blocker. So okay. it's not like he's staying in on every play. So, at, and But do we think, would there be anything to the look? Because if you're, okay, I would get it. I think actually Mike Weber's a good blocker. I think he's a great blocker, and he's certainly better than Dobbins. So I get that. But five out of 24, that's not telling me enough because I think Dobbins is a more dynamic runner. Yeah, well, that's what didn't make sense. And threatens the defense more. That's what didn't make sense because it was, it was very obvious that Weber played more than Dobbins watching the game. And then when I was going through and like doing the research on exactly what the numbers were, I expected to discover that Weber was just pass protecting the entire time, but he wasn't. And he didn't really run the ball when Weber was in there. So I don't know. It's just like yeah. Mike Weber's your passing running back. Okay. Whatever he, that means. He got, like, he got like three or four receptions. And when I was going through the JT chart, something I, was, something I actually thought was interesting, I didn't include this, was you know they did a bubble screen where they kind of set it up where they had two blockers in front of Mike Weber. And if you're going to do that, that's a good way to do it. Get a couple well, guys. Wouldn't you rather date J.K. Dobbins have the ball? I mean, if, it, if there's a scenario where the running back has the ball in his hands, I want Dobbins and not Weber. I mean, I, I'm with you there, exactly, but I mean, there's also something to be said for having a bigger back on the perimeter against corners. You feel like you have you take your chances more with Weber, who's more of a downhill guy and has got more size in that scenario than Dobbins. I guess so. Let, let, me ask, let me ask this. It's scenario-specific, mostly. He blocked five times out of 24. Mm-hmm. Urban Meyer talked a lot last week before the game about how much Penn State liked to bring pressure. Mm-hmm. Said they brought pressure 40% of the time. James Franklin said on Tuesday that, hey, maybe we didn't blitz as much as some people would have wanted us to at the end there. But he said every time we brought five, they blocked our five with their five. So it sounds like to me that Penn State, James Franklin is saying Penn State did not blitz as much at at the end of that game as maybe their MO would tell you they would. Was Mike Weber in that game because they were thinking Penn State might blitz and that if they brought six... They want Mike Weber to be the sixth blocker, and then they didn't bring six, so he leaks out. But yeah. they had him in there because they were afraid of the Penn State blitz and what that would do, even though it never came. Yeah, I, I think that's perfectly reasonable, and I think it happened on the, the final drive. JT threw a 20-yard pass to Terry McLaurin, and I, I believe Penn State did blitz, and Mike Weber picked that blitz up and, and gave JT an extra second to throw the ball. And I highlighted that play in the story I wrote today. I, I'm not... I'm not discrediting Mike Weber's usage as a pass-blocking running back, and I really don't have any problem with him being out there for the final two drives when Ohio State had to throw the ball to win the game. It doesn't explain to me why J.K. Dobbins wasn't in the game at all in the second quarter if he's not hurt, and he was averaging 12 yards a carry on his first four carries. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that rotation is very puzzling, but I'll ask you guys this since you saw it last year. Does it seem like Mike Weber's more confident you know, with the ball in his hands as a receiver than he was a year ago? I think he's more confident in general, and I think he's a better player than he was last year. If he's not better than J.K. Dobbins, well, I, I mean, that wasn't that wasn't the, the question. I was asking. They've always, they've always, they love the look. They love the look where you have what is their base personnel because they don't use a fullback. So their base personnel is three receivers, one <clears> tight end, one running back. They love that look where they have base personnel and they split everybody wide. And I always feel like Mike Weber very naturally fit into that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's not that J.K. Dobbins doesn't. But I always think Mike Weber has been fairly confident as a pass receiver because there are times in this Ohio State offense when you're the running back, when you're just a receiver. Yeah. You just split up. They don't throw the ball a ton. 
to their running backs out of the backfield, but they split their running backs out as receivers a lot. They do. And I think Mike Weber is good at that. But do you think he looks better this year, Tim, than he did last year even in that role? Well, what I, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying is on a bubble screen on the perimeter, it's not a bad idea to get your, <coughs> your bigger of your two running backs out there in a situation where – you have two blockers in front, and for the most part, if you're in spread formation, that means more defensive backs. You're going to like that numbers advantage of a bigger running back against corners and safeties in that situation. If you if you want to get him reception, that's a, it's an interesting wrinkle to the bubble screen game. And against Penn State, a lot of the bubble screens just didn't work. That was one of the few that worked, and it was because it was drawn up as really the, – the phrase is an extended handoff. That's what it really was, an extended handoff with two blockers in front, and I think Weber got like seven, eight yards on that. Weber also, I think, had three receptions that went for negative yardage. And then he, he had the... Because he can't shake tackles. But I, And I, I will say that they were... So they were down, obviously, in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. But they didn't just chuck the ball every... I mean, they didn't throw the ball every play. Hmm. I think they need to answer for why... You're, you're probably you're especially with Paris Campbell out of the game. They, your most dynamic offensive player did not play in the second quarter in a game in which you were trailing and needed points. So that's so. Th- this is my point. I'm not fourth quarter. Whatever. I think Mike Weber should play. I, I like the idea of using two tailbacks. I think Weber is certainly good enough to play. Playing in the fourth quarter, that's fine. You played in the entire second quarter. You had 18 plays. Seven of them were Mike Weber runs that averaged three yards a carry. That is exactly the question that you will ask Kevin Wilson on Wednesday. Yes. And maybe ask Urban again. The thing that's tough about it is like it's tough to ask something like that that and it is critical, but in a way that the answer is not just like what well, we won. You know what I mean? It's like you're trying to find out like concrete information about usage of the running back position. Yeah. With- no, no, I think it's okay. Yeah, no, but I agree. You can't just every answer can't be what well, we won, didn't we? What was how did and they didn't run the ball effectively. No. They ran the ball better with Dobbins, and most of that's because of Dobbins. But and then, Dobbins like, breaks a lot of th- the other thing hole doing- inside. Ju- you know, we should write a story about jump cuts. You should do that. I, I saw someone wrote a story about jump cuts. Yeah, I should do that. A love letter. It was. A love letter. <laughs> Dear, did your girlfriend get jealous when you wrote a love letter to jump cuts? No, I don't think she knows I did that. But no, she did not. She knows um, now. Yeah. The other thing, like. The other thing that would justify Weber being on the field so much is as a blocker for JT running, and he wasn't that either. Right. Most of the reasons to have Mike Weber on the field are that theoretically he could pick up the blitz yeah. or he could be a lead He's blocker. He's also for good JT. in the red. Like I think I, in the red zone, I'd probably have, rather have Weber in there. And there wasn't. It was basically split even. Split evenly. All four touchdowns were scored with Mike Weber on the field. Um, for whatever that's worth. Um, but I think Weber is a better red zone back than Dobbins. I just think in general, I think most Ohio State fans and the three of us would agree it was strange that J.K. Dobbins didn't play at all in the second quarter. We're not we're not saying that Mike Weber shouldn't play. It didn't start that but, way because it was it was it was Dobbins' first series, Weber's second series, Dobbins' third series, Dobbins' fourth series, and then Weber came in and played played the end of the fourth series, and then it was all Weber in the second quarter. It was all Dobbins in the third quarter until he lost his shoe on a run, and then Weber played the last three plays of the third quarter. Dobbins started the fourth quarter, fumbled, and didn't play again. And then it was Weber for like the last 15 plays of the fourth quarter. And that's the thing. We can't let them get away with an answer that's, well, he fumbled. It's like, yeah, we mean before he fumbled. Yeah. It's second, we're talking about the second quarter. Yeah, it's more bizarre that, you know, he goes 21 yards, and then 
is off the field the rest of the first half. That's what's bizarre. Like, if you fumble and you don't see the field for a little bit, there's an understanding there. But when you rip off a 21-yard game... Yeah, it was his best run of the game. Yeah. You, and then he, he, he ripped off 21 yards and you sit down. I, it's it's a small detail and ultimately something that in some ways is inconsequential, but it's still puzzling. I mean, that, what... Like, what do you? What does that say to a guy? It wouldn't have been inconsequential if they had lost. Yeah, and right. one of the reasons they lost is because in the second quarter they couldn't run the ball. Right. right. Um, and I was watching because I thought he was hurt, and a lot of people were asking about it on Twitter, and I was tweeting about it in the second quarter. I was watching it through my binoculars, and I kept saying, the players who are about to go in the game stand at the line of scrimmage. J.K. Dobbins was standing 10 yards away, not in his helmet, but not looking like a person who was about to go in the game. So, like, what if Mike Weber's shoe had come off? He would have had to run 10 yards and, like, get refocused and go in the game. It looked, to me, he looked like such, so out of the picture, even though his helmet was on. And I know, he could have run 10 yards and gone right in. But he just, he wasn't engaged. He wasn't engaged in the action. And so that's why I thought he either... It's like he looked like a person who was either hurt and had been told, you're not playing again this quarter. We need to give you a rest. And I know this is not the case, but it almost looked like a person would look like if they were suspended for a quarter. Like, I'm going to stand here, but I know I'm not going in. So what's the point? I don't need to be right where the action is. And obviously it's not that. But it just it just looked very strange. And I didn't note where Mike Weber stood when J.K. Dobbins was in the game. But I, I don't imagine that it was that. He just was out of the picture. Ben Victor and Terry McLaurin were standing right next to the first down, next to the line of scrimmage marker, waiting to run in. Rashad Berry's in the mix. This is J.K. Dobbins, your most dynamic player, was not in the mix, was not in the, hey, here we go, what's the next play called? You need to put me in. I just found it. It's why I thought he was hurt, because to me, it looked so strange. Yeah, I thought it was hurt or like a disciplinary thing or something like that, which, I mean, none of those outcomes make sense. I mean, part of me think, like, I'm hoping we'll get like an actual answer. And in fairness, Kevin Wilson, in some of the questions we ask, he's given us very reasonable answers that make a lot of sense in certain situations. So hopefully we'll be able to get some clarity and we'll then, ask five questions if we need to. One, I, I did try to ask Kevin Wilson about it after the game, and I basically was asking. I wanted to know if he was hurt, and he said he wasn't hurt. But then his answer didn't make much sense to me. He said something along the lines like, "We were doing a lot of quarterback run," and I don't know if that means like JT is more willing to run, or like there's a greater chance that JT is going to run when he's out there with Dobbins than he is when he's out there with Weber. I don't know. I don't. I didn't quite understand what he meant by that. Well, if it's a zone read, maybe. Here's what my kind of interpretation of what that means. If it's a zone read, and I saw, I know this in the Rutgers game, that they crashed a lot on Dobbins on that zone read and that forced Barrett to keep. Because I'm trying to remember how many big runs Barrett had when Dobbins was in the game versus Weber. And I know Barrett broke a couple nice runs in that first quarter with Dobbins on the field. Maybe it's a situation where in a zone read, defenses are more willing to crash in and try and take away JK and live with whatever JT does. And then the opposite, they, they defenses are wanting to dare or willing to let JT hand the ball off to Weber as much because they know Weber's just not as dynamic. I direct you to cleveland.com 
where you can find out that JT had four keeps on read options with Dobbins for 36 yards and two keeps on read options with Barrett for seven yards. You mean two keeps on place with Weber? With Weber. With Weber. Well, that kind yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, but even if that explanation was real, it would be like, well, J.K. Dobbins is just too good. Yeah. So we put him in our the, worst running back, so that the defense. The defense to goes the to Dobbins so much. JT ha, JT has to keep it. We want to put in a running back who's not as good of a runner as JT, so they crash on JT and he has to hand it off. Sorry, JK, you're too good. I mean, it's just I don't know. That's why I want to ask five questions about it. Yeah, because I mean, Saquon Barkley and this is the thing we think JK Dobbins might be Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley plays the whole game. Now it's an advantage for Ohio State <coughs> to have Mike Weber. Nobody disputes that. I would dispute that in a game that's that close, Mike Weber should have more plays than J.K. Dobbins. I don't think that's right. If it was, you know, it was 40-39? 40-36. 40, for, 40 plays for Weber, 36 plays for Dobbins? Technically, it was 42-38, but it's because both of them were on the field for the two kneel downs. So, like, plays that mattered, it was 40-36. to 36. I would be much more comfortable with 50 for Dobbins, 26 for Weber. Yeah, and I think that's actually been the breakdown in most games. I didn't go back and look because that would take forever. Um, but I looked at this game. This is a huge game. You can get this is where you get a real feel for what they want to do offensively, and I thought it was interesting that Weber was out there more. So go read Bill's story, Cleveland.com slash OSU. He got he broke all this down. We don't have an answer yet. We'll try to get an answer, but Bill laid out like the entire question, which is interesting in itself. Okay. Let's see. Uh Tyler Shoemaker has a question. He says, Is this the best Oh, best our receivers have looked since twenty fourteen? Is uh, I wonder if that's best as far as you know guys exceeding their ceiling or just best receiver play in general. They did not have good receiver play last year, right? I think they had average receiver play in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen outside with, of Michael with, Thomas. with Thomas and Marshall. But and this year and, and forcing the ball to Braxton Miller. This year also, you'd have to consider that they've added components. You know, we've seen a, a ton more Austin Mack. We've seen more Ben Victor. We've seen Johnny Dixon really step up in some big moments, and I mean. <laughs> That fourth quarter he had was like you wonder where Ohio State is J.K. if Johnny Dixon doesn't have the kind of fourth quarter that he has in that game. So I think from that aspect they're getting better play because I think they're getting receivers who are playing better. I mean Johnny Dixon has really stepped up this year, proved you know why he was ranked where he was. Austin Mack had a f- tremendous game on Saturday. Um, at times we've seen flashes from I think. All six guys in this six-man rotation, we've seen flashes, you know, all the time where one or two guys just consistently, you know, does something well. It's not – all six are not going to flash in the same game. It's like two will have a good game one game, and then and then the next week it's two other guys who really step up and do something. Yeah, there's a balance at the position they haven't had in a while. What, yeah. do you, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Urban Meyer said the same thing. Like, I think it's kind of obvious he's the best receiver play they've had since 14. Here's what I think. Um, and I know I know some guys have made some good plays. <clears throat> who who is a and this is not and I'm gonna give like 50 caveats. Blocking is important in Ohio State receivers. Route running is important. It feels like they're doing that kind of stuff better, mm-hmm. right? The Sugar Bowl catch against Alabama when Evan Spencer threw it and Michael Thomas caught it. Who makes that catch on this team? Uh, Austin Mack, I think, would probably be best equipped to do so. But I 
I mean, I don't think he would – I wouldn't have as much confidence in him doing it as I did in Michael Thomas that year. The aerial gymnastics of Devin Smith who made every deep ball a catchable ball. Who does that? Nobody. I mean, I don't know how many guys can, period. I mean, when you have a guy like that who's an outstanding high jumper, I mean, those guys don't grow on trees for anybody. So, Okay, but they had one here. And I will say there is credence to to the route running concept. And I made a point of this in the JT chart (coughs) on Monday when I talked about Johnny's touchdown. The mesh concept they'd run, that was one of the best variants I've seen where he does a mesh, and then all of a sudden he gets a hash, just explodes down the field. And that's really what got him that wide open. The routes are helping the receivers play better, and and as a result, they're making plays because there's different concepts that are getting them open. So I think there's a little give and take to both. I think absolutely agree with that 100%. I think we are seeing things that when we said, why aren't these guys getting open last year, which we said a lot, right? Did we not say that a lot? Yeah. I think it was two things. I think it was the kind of routes they were calling and the kind of plays they were running, but I also think they weren't very good at it. It was both. I don't think it was more on one than the other. And I think both have drastically improved. So I think what Tim said is true. The offense is putting the receivers in better position to succeed. I think all these receivers are doing their job. I don't see anybody who's Michael Thomas or Devin Smith yet. So I would say this is the best receiver play since 2014. But I'm still – and they caught – I mean, JT Barrett couldn't go 13 of 13 in the fourth quarter. He hit six different guys. You couldn't do that if the receivers weren't catching it. And when they dropped balls, they stood out because they're unusual. They're not every down now, right? When K.J. Hill dropped that ball, everybody was shocked. It's because K.J. Hill catches everything. He had 100 yards. And the Marcus Ball drop in particular is bad because that hit him right in his hands. He was he he got into a zone into an area between three guys in a zone right there in his hands and just straight up dropped it. So we can't criticize guys when they drop it and then when they catch it, say, "Oh, no big deal, they caught it." Credit to all those guys for catching all those passes in the fourth quarter because if they don't catch them, they don't win. But I think a good deal of this receiver play at the moment is basically guys doing their jobs. And the jobs they're being asked to do are are just – they're putting them in much better spots. But I sort of feel like they're a long way from Michael Thomas and Devin Smith, which is fine. Both those guys were second-round picks in the NFL, and Michael Thomas should have been a first-rounder. But I just want to leave that out there that we're at a point where a lot of people are praising the receivers, and rightly so. Uh, and after a year of talking about route running and not getting open, we have to praise them for route running and getting open. I feel like a lot of the plays they're making are run a route and JT puts it on your hands and you score, which is fine. Yeah, Johnny made a good catch on the corner fade from JT for the second to last Mm -hmm. touchdown, right? That was a good play. But like the route he ran, and he ran it well, the first touchdown he had down the seam, they they smashed the coverage. There was no coverage. And it dropped in his lap and he ran in. It's clear from watching that rewatch that Penn State – that. Kevin Wilson found something he really liked, and it was that zone concept. They attacked it again and again and again. The ball play was similar, although that was just straight down the middle of the field. And once he broke past the linebacker, that's when JT's like, all right, I'm going to throw it to him. Did you guys see the Chip Kelly thing on ESPN? Yeah. I did. So Chip Kelly broke down the Johnny Dixon, the first Johnny Dixon touchdown. And basically, it's what it's the play that we've been talking about all year. The mesh concept in the middle of the field where this other guy comes and settles behind it. 
And that is so established now. And Chip Kelly broke all this down. And it's like, and I don't mean this. I really have a lot of respect for Ryan Day. You've been on the Ryan Day bandwagon Mm -hmm. from the beginning. But I'm it's less like, on it now. I thought he was going to be Ohio State's head coach, and now it's going to be Matt Campbell. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of politeness going around the football team. Mm-hmm. Not that there wasn't before, but everybody's going to be saying a lot of yes sirs and pleases and thank yous, which is always appreciated. What is the thing, by the way, with the Iowa coach swearing in the press box and that being a thing? I don't know. I saw people tweeting about it. I think, yeah. yeah. Is that really a thing? Oh, well, Kirk Ferentz had to address it several times. But what did he have to address? His son is a coach. Like, where did he get caught swearing? I think he like was swearing at the replay official in the booth. And he was swearing at a person. He wasn't just saying, "Gee, Willikers, we got to run that play better." He was swearing at someone. Also, I'm personally not against swearing at people. Most <laughs> swearing at people. I think. Oh, it's- I mean, I'm just making things up. I don't know for sure what happened. Yeah. I'll, I'll Google it. Yeah, I saw – I got a glimpse of the Kirk Ferentz uh, press conference transcript from Tuesday. You know, he was he, – he asked about that several times that they were dealing with – I think – I believe he was talking about the AD tra- handling that situation. It's very weird. What? Handling what? Swearing? Swearing in well, football is well, handling something? Well, he said it was unacceptable press box conduct, which I wonder – What did he do? Did he punch the guy? <clears throat> well, if he punched the guy, we would have seen the video by Senior now. Senior Rapids Gazette wrote that the Hawkeyes offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, and this is after uh, a player fumbled, was initially ruled down, and then the call was overturned by the replay official in the booth. Um, Cedar Rapids Gazette wrote that Brian Ferentz, quote, let out a string of expletives heard by most in the press box, words too blue to reprint here at the replay official as the coaches left their coaches box. Well, hey, the Floyd of Roy the Floyd of Ro- Floyd of Rosedale is serious business now. I wish we could bleep on our podcast cuz I would just let him some rip right now. <laughs> if we so, can, we'll get a sponsor. So he's at he's swearing at a guy? Yeah. Okay. But if it was deserved, then it was deserved. I mean, sometimes here's the thing. When you swear at someone, the swearer Always gets the crap. But guess what? Sometimes people deserve to be sworn at. Mm-hmm. No one ever takes the side of the swear and says, gosh, that incompetent boob screwed up. I'm glad someone swore at him. I talk to my children about this all the time. Hold people accountable. One of the great problems in our world is not holding people accountable. And if you hold that replay official accountable and rip him a blue streak, whatever they said he did, <laughs> that will make him a better person down the line. Or you just take his face and replace it with a crying Jordan. That also works, I think. It at least makes you feel better. How do we get here off a question about receivers? We were talking the Johnny Dixon play. So the oh. Johnny Dixon play, Chip Kelly, it's like Chip Kelly's breaking it down, and it's like he may as well have his hand up Ryan Day's back and be yeah. working a sock puppet. It's like, oh, you're having Chip Kelly break down an Ohio State play? It because he taught it to yeah. Ryan Day, who taught it to Urban Meyer and Kevin Wilson? Well, that's great. Yeah. Chip Kelly's breaking down a play that he invented. <laughs> so he's breaking this down. It's the I actually play, think Mike Marks invented Mike Marks invented The play that they ran a million times, two receivers cross, and the third receiver settles in behind him, and Dixon scored three touchdowns at least. There's three big plays on that play. And we talked to Ryan Day, and I wrote about how the next thing was plays off of that. And on this play... Chip Kelly was explaining, Dixon ran in, the the Penn State linebacker reacted, expecting him to sit behind Demesh, because that's the thing, too, which was a good point that Chip Kelly made, which is why he's a football coach and I'm a failed podcast co-host. The defenders, Successful. each defender doesn't know everything that's happening on a play. So 
he that defender didn't know whether the other two receivers were coming to mesh underneath Johnny. He just knew here comes Johnny Dixon to sit in the middle. And Johnny Dixon faked into the middle and then broke it up the field. And then as Chip Kelly said, after that, all you tell the receivers, go hit your head on the goalpost. Because there was nobody there. But the reason there was nobody there is because Penn State was reacting to the play they saw on film two and four and six weeks ago. And that's what we told you then. We wrote whole stories about this, prepping you guys for what was coming. And that was it. They won the game on it. They won the game on progressions. On a plan. And that's what they didn't have last year. And that's why this whole month we've said that this is real. And in the fourth quarter it was real. Can I go on a tangent again? What was with all the perimeter passes in the first three quarters? It was the same thing. But was it too much? I don't think it was too much. I think it, if if JT Barrett doesn't see Johnny Dixon late in the first half and then deliver that ball a little underthrown, no one's asking why they kept throwing bubbles. That play worked because there was a bubble to that the play side. The safety ran up to to defend the bubble. The corner ran up to defend the bubble, and Johnny Dixon ran behind both of them, which is a JT saw him too late and then missed him with the throw. And then Marcus Ball's game-winning touchdown watched Terry McLaurin. The ball snapped and McLaurin steps backwards like he's going to catch a bubble screen. And the guys don't like stalk block for him on the other side. They like kind of like jog out into the route. But the fake bubble motion by McLaurin is enough to make the defense hesitate and then ball runs by him. And there's a play action fake involved too. Like all, like it's all bells and whistles, whatever. There is a purpose to throwing the ball out to the perimeter. Um, and sometimes too, it's just that JT has, I think, uh, the freedom to count numbers. And when he sees a numbers advantage, he's going to get to the line. He's going to snap it quickly. He's going to flip a bubble out. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think he might have miscounted a couple. There a couple were times two or he did, plays. but then a couple of times, like KJ Hill, probably had thirty to forty receiving yards because JT counted right. And he did the times he counted wrong. He throws it out there, and there's a guy tackling the receiver before the ball. That's what gets happened. There. With Weber lost like seven yards. Yeah, of those, yeah. Penn State was very good tackling that. I, I do think that it's a situation where you want to keep it honest. And if you only gain a yard or two in that situation, it's losing a battle to win a war. That's what the that's what the Marcus ball play was and why maybe the couple losses in the bubble screen game were something they were willing to take. Losing a battle to win a war. And they did drop a couple passes. People were exact. They dropped two balls. KJ Hill and Marcus Ball. Yeah. I mean, people were people were saying, well, they had four drops or whatever. He only They had two drops, and then the Johnny Dixon ball was late. Mm-hmm. And then he had like a throwaway when he was getting sacked, and he had a, a bubble he missed to Weber he threw behind him. And then the yeah. toss to KJ Hill that he couldn't complete the catch because the, the <laughs> yes. defensive back was really – Those are your six. Yeah. yeah. Those were his six incompletions. So what, but, but also – it was also weird. He had like two or three completions, completions that got called back mm-hmm. by penalties, but he also had a couple incompletions called back by penalties. He probably had five passes that got wiped from the books yeah. by penalties. Um, but the point is – they were doing a lot of bubbles, and I think it's hard for people. If you run the ball and gain two yards, I think people are conditioned, including us, to think, okay, you got two yards. It's second and eight. If you throw the ball and get two yards, especially when you throw it 15 yards to the side, people are like, what the hell are you doing that for? You got two yards. But it's basically a run play. They, they In Kevin Wilson's mind, it's a run. So that's hard to like – if you hand to Mike Weber and the hole's not there and he gets two – Nobody stands up and screams, what the heck are you doing? 
And to try to say that's the same thing is just – it's hard, it hard to get it through your head. But to me, in the first three quarters, if they had not had that fourth quarter, we would not be talking about the fully formed, beautiful Ohio State offense, no. I don't think. Because they were – it felt like they were taking a lot of those. And again, RPOs, they call them. It's a big part of the Ohio State offense this year. It wasn't much in the past. Run-pass option where JT – and James Franklin was talking about this. Everybody does it. You have two play calls at the line of scrimmage. You can do a run or a pass. And then even within the play, once it starts, you can see the defense and make a decision within the play, run or pass. So they were doing a lot of stuff to the perimeter, but it wasn't creating openings in the middle. Not a ton of them. Not that they were exploiting. They exploited the heck out of it in the fourth quarter. But through three quarters, they threw for 158 yards and six yards per attempt. That was not great. It was not great. It was an okay offense because they were moving the ball and they were outgaining them. But it is all building to the fourth quarter. And of course it happened and it mattered. But it was I did understand some frustration with all the bubbles and all the things on the perimeter early because it felt like it, it, it took through three quarters. It hadn't led to a ton of other stuff. And then it turns out in the end, it led to a fourth quarter comeback that won the game. McLaurin's touchdown was in the third quarter, right? That was a good throw down the middle. Yeah, that was. And then there was another again. I'll go back to the Dixon. Like if if he that's a forty yard touchdown for Johnny Dixon on a ball throwing ball. Now JT's got to make the throw, but I think missing that throw and people probably just forgot about it because he missed the throw and then in the end the what didn't really matter. Um, but if he would have hit that throw, he'd be like, okay, that's why they do it. And then I think it was on them. A, McLaurin driver talking about the second quarter. He he hits a throw to a wide open Austin Mack. I know he's wide open, but I wonder how much that throw on that was, like the play action. Where, yeah, yeah, where, where he like, drew them. Great it's, it's a mesh, but he extended it out twenty plus yards to that right side of the field. Not an not a hard throw because he was wide open, but I, I, that had to give him a lot of confidence. So like, okay, we can stretch the field on these guys. That was almost like a like a throwback because it was it was a play action so and it was like left, and then it was yeah. like almost like a fake sprint out like boot. JT stopped and planted, turned his body back to the opposite side, and then threw to a wide-open Mac. And that's one of those things where you set that up with five years of running the quarterback. Yeah. And Troy Smith did that a couple times his Heisman year, and it was just killer. Because when you have a, a guy who's enough of a run threat as the quarterback, Troy did it a lot. They would do things where Troy would step toward the line like he was running and then step back, and it's just like, oh, God. That was like the Cardell dead. Jones play. Like that's, that was how they used Cardell in the QB run game. So, so that play by JT, I mean, that again, that was very, very well executed. But I got a, you know, I get, I got a bubble, you know, a perimeter pass, bubble screen email. People get frustrated and want to know why they're doing it. And you try to explain that it's just think, just think of it as a run play. And it's just much easier to process because mm-hmm. nobody complains about three yard runs. Um, but also, it's not just the play itself, as we've been saying, it sets up other things. It just felt to me, through three quarters, it, it, it set, up, set up a couple things, and then in the fourth quarter, you really, really saw what it set up. But, yeah. but I would have said – so all the things we were saying for five weeks, and the only people only, – the only thing we're rooting for in the end is ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Through three quarters, did you feel vindicated like we were right? <laughs> or were you like, we're going to get a load of crap for this one? <laughs> yeah, the second one. <laughs> I mean, so they weren't, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But I think it's just, yeah, it's hard. It's not particularly exciting football unless Paris Campbell takes one of those bubbles for 90 yards, which is possible. Which also hurt, by the way. He wasn't in the game. He wasn't in the game. And And some of those would have gone to him. And I guess the one thing I will say is 
it does seem a little strange to me. Tim, as much you, you made good points about Weber, I don't really see the value in throwing those to Mike Weber because I think you're only getting three yards on those or five yards. And I don't really see the value in giving them to KJ Hill because I think his explosiveness is limited as well. I think you want to give them to a guy like Campbell where like, yeah, it might be three yards or it might be 93 yards. I think that's where you get some some more value in that play. She has a 70-yard touchdown off one of those this year, right? Army, yeah. It was the first play, I thought. And is it, is it not, the idea it's of every one of those plays, you are one block and one cut from the house. That's the with idea. With the right yes. guy. With the guy with the ball matched up one-on-one. Yeah, block one guy, and then it's it's the guy with the ball versus one defender, and I like Paris Campbell to win that most times. All right, do we have any food stuff we want to get to? Because I don't want to go... Two hours. Two hours. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. about an hour 18. And... Uh, let's see. Let me find a good food one. Or any other really good hardcore football questions that we can answer in less than 15 minutes. The Urban Renewal asks, uh, going to the game in Iowa might require to only eat corn. <laughs> um, the corn, loose meat sandwiches are a thing in Iowa. My wife is from Iowa. Is it like pulled pork? I don't really know. It's just loose a thing I say. Loose yeah. I think it's like a Runza. It's like a, it's that, that kind of meat. It's like a steak sandwich, I think. Okay. Um, the corn is good. I mean, I would go somewhere. There's definitely – there are if any place that sounds like a place, right? Like my, my wife and I got married in Iowa, and we had our rehearsal dinner at a place called the Corn Patch. Hmm. Do you think the food was good? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Do you think it was like a pig that had been alive like an hour earlier and now was delicious pork? <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like getting a lobster – out of the cooler and dropping it in the pot. That's what they do with pigs in Iowa. So get some good meat, get some beef, get some pork. It's not only corn. My wife will tell you that actually Iowa gets a bad rap as like this place that's just a bunch of corn. They do have good corn there, but she'll tell you the place that's just fields and fields of flat corn is Nebraska. And everybody in Iowa hates Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Doug, I know you don't have an answer to this, but I do, and I'll see if Tim does too. Chris McCormick asked for food, or his food question was uh, blue cheese or ranch with wings. Um, I actually like both. If I had to choose one, I'd probably choose ranch, but I am uh, probably just as big a fan of blue cheese as I am of ranch. Tim, do you have a preference? Neither. Neither, and Doug, you're neither. I'm a neither, which I think gives me even greater respect for eating the hot, hot buffalo sauce because I have no cooling mechanism. Yeah, if yeah, you're getting that. wings with a sauce, why do you need another dip? You're 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 throwing good. away you're throwing away the flavor of the wing yeah. with another sauce. You're blending two sauces, which you shouldn't do. But it's also a cooling mechanism. I, dis- is it not? I could not have dis- disagree with that more strongly. <coughs> the branch, I don't like. The ranch, because it masks the flavor of the buffalo wing, I think it complements it very well. I get both, and it tastes delicious. Yeah, I just don't like stuff like that, but I get it. Right. Yeah, okay. Well, you guys are wrong. Agree to disagree. <laughs> or I'll just agree that I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, let's see. Right wrong. Let's see. It is when it comes to wings. Um, Cheese that is blue is hard for me to get around. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Let's see. Uh, Doug DeLillo says, only one out of five. This that blew my mind. Does he one, bring, he has stats in his food <laughs> questions again? He says only one out of five millennials have tried a Big Mac. Have Bill and Tim tried them? I've tried many. Tim, have you had a Big Mac in your life? I have not. What? What? It's I find one that, out of, it blows my mind. You have, have you had a Big Mac? Uh, I don't like all the sauce and but stuff. But have you had one? I don't think so. How old are you? 44. God, that's unbelievable. And you're the youngest of the three of us, and you're the one out of five. 14 years old. You're the one out of five of the millennials, and you know my thoughts but, on that. But that's it. So... When you were younger, did you just get like burgers, get like a quarter pounder or something when you were younger, and then you had to graduate to a Big Mac, right? Or were you eating a Big Mac when you were eight? 
No, it was like always a thing when I was a kid. I was like, "Are you allowed to eat a Big Mac yet?" I was like, "No, not yet." So no, I used to get like yeah, just regular cheese. But then when did when did you graduate to it? Like in high school? Probably when I was like thirteen, twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I missed that step because I was afraid of the sauce, and so I just still eat plain hamburgers. I don't, I don't eat. I couldn't tell you the last time I had a Big Mac, but I've I've definitely had my fair share of them, and I it, I cannot believe that neither of you had one. Do you guys know the song? Was that still a song when you guys were kids? The two old beef yeah. patty, special sauce, and a cheese pickle. You just see it on YouTube cheese, videos. No, I remember the commercials. Yeah. My mom used to work at a McDonald's, and uh, I went on a preschool trip to McDonald's one time. Nice. Here's another food question. I'm sorry I'm stealing your thunder. This strikes to me a little bit hard from Visual Ambassador. Do you look at reviews such as Yelp or Google before trying a new restaurant? I do when I'm in new cities. Yeah. Yeah. I admit I did that on Friday. I tied this place up on Polaris Parkway called 101 Beer Kitchen. You know what, actually, I, I look at more now. Than, I, than like Yelp or Google reviews is I go on uh, the diners, drive-ins, and dive website and see what spots Guy Fieri has hit up in that town. Has he been to many in Central Ohio or Northeast Ohio? I don't know. I don't. I don't like look where I live. But in new towns. Yeah. But did I, you look for Iowa yet? You no. Look for Iowa. I'll look at Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah also, like Man versus Food, it's a couple places. Yeah. That's how I discovered Melt. That's how I've discovered Thurman Cafe and different things like that. Because I, I don't I, want like. Uh, I don't know. I feel like sometimes Yelp can steer you in the... It's like Yelp, I think, sometimes steers you in the direction of just, like, solid food that's, like, average for the location. Like, you're not going to get let down mm. no matter what you get, but it's also not sending you in the direction of someplace that's, like, unique. I'm more into the Google ratings. Like, if I'm a, I'm in a place I've never been... If I'm, like, wanting to try something local, yeah, I'm not going... Look how handsome that guy is. Sorry, I didn't cut you off. Jimmy <laughs> Garoppolo's on TV. Like, he does. He looks like Superman. <laughs> Um, are you get, are you saying the Henry Cable Super, Cavill Superman? Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, that one. Superman was he the one from Batman versus Superman? Yeah, I think he was. Okay. I like that movie because I wanted to know why were they fighting? And there was a misunderstanding about some. Well, I didn't. Mothers. I didn't watch Blue that movie. So. Okay, so what were you saying about Yelp review, or uh, Google reviews? If it's a non-chain, I'm only going four or above. When it comes to like you know local four places. out of what four out of five. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Well, it's it's star rating. It's not price. It's star rating. You know, I'm I'm particularly like unless you're a chain. When I know I'm getting, I want to trust that other people are going to steer me in the right direction. You know what I was contemplating that we could do in Iowa, but it's too far out of the way. By the way, what's that? Field of Dreams. Oh yeah, where in Iowa is that? It's in northeast Iowa, so it's north, oh, we're like significantly central, right? north of Iowa City. Plus, it closes at six on Friday, uh, so we'd have to get up at the crack of dawn to go there. But I've been there. Magical. Can you play? Like, can you? Yeah. Can, 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 I don't think you can play in if November. I, if I showed up with like a bucket of baseballs and a bat, because someone just tossed me BP, and I can do yard work and I. To my knowledge, yes. All right, perfect. You guys call it taking BP doing yard work because that's what I do. Um, we want more questions. We're football at, or food? A little more food, then we'll get back to a little more football. I don't be know done. if I have any more food. That's all right. We had a coffee. We had a, a nighttime donut rant. That was good. I thought I saw one that that you you got Doug, and I'm like trying to find that one. Someone was asking about ice cream and stuff like that. I gotta find. Oh, it again. somebody was asking about like Handel's best ice cream at some place. Yeah, Scott Duda again. Best uh, hi- ice cream. He says Handel's chocolate pecan. Handel's like a what's local, Handel's? It's Handel's like a place in. Uh, I mean, we can't. Not everybody who listens <coughs> to us. It's just like a place in Central Ohio. Oh, it's right? like, yeah, the name of the. But, there, but yeah. there's more of them in Northeast Ohio. There's there one Northeast in. Brocksville, Brocksville is like 10 minutes away from my old apartment. There's one around here in Columbus and Powell, which is kind of right 
like right in between the downtown no, I know, I know. area. And- we don't have to give directions to the ice cream place. Well, no, I'm letting the few. I'm letting the listeners who aren't don't know exactly where that is. I'm helping them out here. You know what I think is that what is key to my favorite kind of ice cream is a ribbon of peanut butter. Anything with a ribbon of peanut butter in it, like the ribbons. You know what I mean? The ribbons. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's that's what I go for. It's a good band name too. <laughs> ribbon of peanut butter. Okay, let's get one more football question. Okay. From uh, Joe at Joe Cavs. Are you still concerned with Ohio State's pass defense? Uh, he has two questions, and they're pr- both pretty good football questions. So we'll do the first one. Um, are we still concerned with Ohio State's pass defense coming off the Penn State game? I thought it was interesting that uh, the corners did not grade out as champions when basically the rest of the defense did. Yeah, even Denzel Ward yeah. didn't grade out as a champion. <clears throat> Which I'm not sure why. Probably because he gave up that touchdown. I think it's just like a it's like a hard grading system, and it's not like like if like if it would have been a pick, he would have been a champion. If it was, but yes. since it was a touchdown, he's not. Yes. Uh, so I thought the Damon Arnett pass interference when Damon Webb intercepted the ball. Ooh, I'm gonna have something good about that play in uh, Daily Nuggets. By the way, was it interse- I thought it, I thought he was grabbing at him. I thought Arnett, Arnett like had his arm a little bit, yeah, and yeah. Then he didn't turn his head around. Like uh, that's a huge I, problem for them; they don't I, turn around. And I thought, I thought Arnett just looked bad on it. Yeah. Like Webb saved the day, which is what a safety is supposed to do there. But Arnett was beat. And then I thought the Kendall Sheffield play again. And I, I mentioned this; I mentioned it in my list. I did a story of the 19 mistakes they made in that game for Kendall Sheffield in two plays to go from tackling Saquon Barkley at the half yard line, nearly getting a safety. Next play, he gives up like a 10 yard pass. And blows the open field tackle, and the guy runs 10 more yards. And they get a 20-yard gain and get out of, out of trouble, and it just looked bad. It's like the guy was open, first of all, and then when you came up to make the tackle, you completely whiffed. So I don't remember everything Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield did in that game. Arnett I feel- gave up the touchdown uh, on the second drive of the game, like a fade to Hamilton where he was in great position but didn't turn around quick enough. Yeah, that was a good play, but it was a good throw. some guy, I think some corners make that play. I'm he, not gonna. He, he had, I think he seems to have a hard time finding the ball. Yeah, I'm not going to criticize him for not making it, but I think like Garyon Conley might have made it. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I, I, I felt like Penn State was less prepared to exploit that than maybe I thought, although you had been making the point all year that they weren't hitting the deep balls. I had done some research. They didn't have as many deep balls. Yeah. They did have some stuff in the middle of the field. They also – I don't – who's 84 for Penn State? Juwan Johnson. Johnson. At least three drops, yeah. at least on crossing routes. He's the one that caught the game when he touched down at Iowa. So Penn State was Penn State took a huge lead. They were not – they hurt themselves also. But uh, I wasn't – yeah, there are things in the Ohio State pass defense that would still bother me. They're, we talked to Greg Schiano on Tuesday. Greg Schiano seems very pleased with the play of Damon Webb and Jordan Fuller at safety. And I think that's shown – Webb, I think, has always been underappreciated. I don't think he was as bad as people as people criticized him for last year. He's much better this year, and Jordan Fuller's played really well. But yeah, I am. And again, it's not Ward; it's the other corner spot. I'm still concerned. Yeah, and I think you can get away a little bit with having a very good corner in Ward and two good safeties. I and we talk about Jordan Fuller. We we mentioned this in our video on Monday. He's not Malik Hooker. He's a very different player. He's more of a strong safety, I think, than a free safety, which is fine. Because I mean. What he does well, he makes open field tackles. And in the era of spread football, you cannot devalue a guy who makes open field tackles. He made, I talked about the two he made. He made one against Nebraska. I believe it was J.D. Spielman that he got him by the ankle and knocked him down. 
Four plays later, Nebraska turns it over on downs. He takes seven points directly at the board, flame the third quarter, makes a phenomenal tackle on Saquon Barkley. Ohio State fumbles late, fumbles on the next drive, but that was a little momentum shift in the game. That's when I think Ohio State started to get a little confidence, even though they had that fumble. They're like, <laughs> hey, we can stop these guys defensively. And then after that, Penn State only had a field goal. I do think they're in a position, and we saw it on the pick that turned into a touchdown with Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward can handle his business. He doesn't really need help. Yeah. So they can leave him alone. You can hedge your if your deep safety to the other side. And on that Damon Arnett play, Damon Arnett was beat. But if he just could have like held it, grabbed at the dude a tiny bit less, Damon Webb makes that pick. Damon Webb made the exact play that a safety is supposed to make there. It's just Damon Damon Arnett was a little too handsy. So I, I don't think it's going to be devastating. I think Tim's point is very valid of you have a good corner and two good safeties. You're pretty you're in pretty good shape when you have those safeties help mm-hmm. out the weaker corner spot. So I, I don't think it's devastating, but also like is it still an issue? Yeah, I think it's still an issue. And I we can get back we'll get back to the playoff discussion in the weeks to come, but I think when it comes to Ohio State's defensive weaknesses, I think there's really only one team that really is a bad matchup for Ohio State in a playoff game, and that's Clemson right now because of their ability to throw the football. Oklahoma. Well, I'm, I'm saying out of the four teams that are in a playoff spot right at the moment. Oh, okay. Because I don't trust Alabama's ability to throw. Georgia doesn't throw at all, and Notre Dame's more run-heavy. Yeah, it's amazing. Sometimes we get caught up in like our criticisms of what Ohio State doesn't do well. It's like Alabama's won a national championship. No, they, what was Damon's – what was the guy that Ohio State played in 14? What was his name, the quarterback? Blake Sims. Blake Sims. What was he? He was like a left tackle they made into a quarterback? <laughs> yeah, what they, was he? They won the next year with uh, – who's there? It was either Cooper Bateman or Jacob Coker. I it, Coker. Was, it was yeah. Coker because they kept – right? They were all the same guys. They all had the same haircut. They all looked the same. Well, now, J- well, now they have Jalen Hurts. <clears throat> the Browns tried to trade for one of them, and he's not any good either. <laughs> and he's, but he's the best of them. He's the best of them. But yeah. Hurts might be legit, but again, Hurts is not chucking it all over the yard. No, like he's a very limited thrower. It's like, in the end, what beat Ohio State this year? Basically, if you had to boil it down to one word, what beat Ohio State? Throwing. Yeah. Baker. Baker? Baker. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Probably. But whatever. Mayfield, yeah. Baker, throwing, Baker. whatever. Fullbacks. Uh, it, in- I mean, and here's the other thing, and this it's taken me a while to come around on this. Some of the guys on uh, NFL analysts that I follow on Twitter that I really respect are way in on Baker Mayfield as potentially the number one quarterback in the class of 2018, meaning oh, he may be your Cleveland Browns franchise quarterback. I was not thinking about him. Oh, I have a thing. Oh, should we talk about this? I, think- I feel like this is next week. I did not think of him that way. I'm not out on that, though. Like, I might be in on that, on yep. Baker Mayfield as an NFL quarterback, which is just a reminder of how special that dude is that came in and ripped up Ohio State. And so, yeah, he made plays in Ohio State. As long as they don't face him, I think they might be okay. Yeah, he's the ultimate will- wild card. And if the Browns draft him, I'll start a GoFundMe for the Baker, at least to, to make – to give Baker Mayfield a flag to plant every time he runs onto the field. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if Baker May? I said if Baker Mayfield planted a Browns flag in the middle of Heinz Field, <laughs> they'd car- they'd build a statue that day. I'd build. I'd I'd be building the statue. That'd and be, you know what we? You know what you'd have in nine months? A little Baker Bielek running around. <laughs> That's what you'd have. <laughs> um, this is not worth getting into now because we're a minute thirty three in. Hour I an hour thirty three and I saw someone mention this. I am I am still not there on this. 
but we can tease it for the next Buckeye talk for a week from now. Ooh. Ooh. I know what you're going to say. JT Barrett as an NFL quarterback? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'm not there. I'm not there either, but then someone somebody tweeted and said, like, if you don't think JT Barrett's an NFL quarterback, watch Trevor Simeon play. Yeah, if, <laughs> guy, like, if, guys, like, solid point. if guys like Kevin Hogan and Scott Tolzien are getting starts in the NFL, then... I mean, I can't... I, I would run out of fingers to try to count up the number of media... I think JT... I, here's what I think. I think, A, JT Barrett is not an NFL quarterback... B, I think he's better than Kirk Cousins, <laughs> who's going to get $30 million. I, I do see JT, obviously we'll get into yeah. this later. Worst case scenario, there could be, I could picture JT winning a great cup up in Canada. I could really picture that. I, I think that's not unreasonable, but like, I, I just was, it was just, it's just arm strength. It's just pure, make the throws arm strength. Yeah. And so I talked a lot and offered a lot of praise for the way he ripped some balls in the fourth quarter. He did throw, throw one in the tightest window probably he's ever thrown it in. He made the throws he needed to make. But that was not an NFL defensive scheme trying to no, stop him. Penn State that. didn't really know what it was doing on some of those. And it's, I'm not, this is not to take anything away from what JT Barrett and Ohio State did. It's one of the best comebacks you'll ever see at any level. <clears throat> I'm not sure that an NFL scout would watch that and say, boom, translates, draft him. Guys are very seldom open in the NFL the way they are often open in college. And it's just a hard – I don't know. You, want, you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to watch like some Alex Smith tape of Alex Smith under Urban, who was the overall number one pick in the draft, and now is going to be the quarterback of like the, the Super Bowl winning team. But yeah. I, just, I just don't see it still. As good as that was – I don't see it. No, neither do I. And it'll be an, an, an interesting conversation to have, especially if he keeps playing this way, because then I think we have to talk about it. But And, and it's not a criticism. It's not a criticism of someone who – and we didn't get into this at all. We didn't get into the Heisman stuff at all. Since we did talk about it previously, and now this has changed, let's do, let's do three minutes on JT Barrett, Heisman candidate. I think he's the front runner. I said it after the game. We talked about it briefly. Um I think he's a front runner, and and that's due in large part to like there had there wasn't one as much as Barkley was being crowned by people. If you look at his numbers, he did not have the numbers of a runaway Heisman favorite in October. Um, Bryce Love kind of does at Stanford. He's hurt. I don't know what the deal is with him. Um, Baker Mayfield is in the mix too. There's just a lot of guys in the mix. No one's pulled themselves uh, really far away ahead of the field. But I think JT Barrett is squarely in the mix, and I think he has a solid argument for being the front runner right now. I believe the Bavada odds. The Bavada odds still have Saquon as the favor with, I want to say, Bryce Love number two and JT number three. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, it's close. I will say that. And I think what the what the Ohio State-Penn State game showed was you can slow Saquon Barkley down. I mean, I, I talked about notes close to Nuggets. Outside of one play, he averaged barely a yard a touch. Outside of like his 36-yard touchdown, he averaged barely a yard a touch. That's runs and receptions. And JT somehow, even though we've seen rip at JT more often in about the last couple of games we had in like two years, he still has one interception. 30 total touchdowns. Which which is incredible to think that not only is he ripping it and completing the passes at a higher rate, one pick in eight games. Let me ask this. Why would you vote for JT over Baker Mayfield? That's, I think that's the point of contention right now is that they, they went head-to-head and Baker vastly outplayed him. So it's it's not it's not like I'm not saying it's over. 
And Oklahoma lost. Oklahoma's not losing because of its offense. Right. No. I think his numbers have to be better than JT's. Like overall, like passing yards and stuff, right? Plus, I, uh, I'll look it up. Sorry, Tim. I keep stepping on your foot. It's all right. Maybe, like, you... I, I would vote for Baker Mayfield ahead of JT right now. Keep, yeah. keep talking. I'm going to look and up I think, uh, when I, stats. I think that's going to be the dilemma of the Heisman Kennedy because I think in some ways, Ohio State can get away with JT Barrett being mediocre and winning a game. That's been proven in the past. I don't think Oklahoma can get away with winning tough games if Baker Mayfield isn't playing as well as he is. I mean, they don't win at Ohio State unless he unless he's Superman, which he was that game. And like I said, I didn't think – when we talked about this earlier, I said JT was not going to be a Heisman candidate because I didn't think he was spectacular enough. And then he didn't have one spectacular play. He had one spectacular quarter. So his Heisman reel – is the fourth quarter against Penn State. That's it. That's all you need to know. You know, you know what number I'm shocked by looking at these? JT has thrown the ball more than Baker Mayfield this year. Has attempted more, more passes? passes. Wow. He's attempted 246 and Mayfield attempted 236. That's amazing. It okay, is- so Baker Mayfield has completed 72% of his passes. JT has completed 69.5. Advantage Mayfield. Mayfield has 2,628 passing yards. JT has 2,166. Advantage Mayfield. Baker's yards per attempt, 11.1. JT's 8.8. Advantage Mayfield. 11 yards. Touchdowns. That's 20, nuts. 23 yeah. touchdowns for Mayfield. 25 touchdowns for JT. Advantage JT. Three interceptions for Mayfield. One for JT. Advantage JT. 195.62 rating for Mayfield. 176.20 rating for JT. And we don't need to make you read more stats, but I'm sure JT has more rushing yards than Mayfield yeah. does. Yeah. JT yeah. is but, actually a part of the run game, and Mayfield's not used quite like that. I mean, the point but Mayfield's is... Mayfield's... Like, JT's got more touchdowns and fewer interceptions, and then Mayfield's got to beat everything else. I mean, the point is they're both putting up video game numbers. I mean, Baker's got a touchdown-interception ratio of about seven, completing 70% of his passes, 11 yards in attempt. That's a video game, is Baker Mayfield. And he's more spectacular. Yeah. Which, which doesn't mean he's better, and doesn't mean you should vote for him. But if you're some ding-dong... Who only watches four college football games a year, which or again is like half, which is half the Heisman electorate. Yeah, he's just a little, he's a little flashy, flashier. Flashy. He's, yeah. just, he's not flashy enough to. Yeah, I heard it last year. He's not flashy enough to win the Heisman. Baker's more. Um, this is the kind of year where that might not matter. Baker's more must see TV. I think yes. JT's more reliable, but Baker, you're going to get the wow mm. way more often. I think you're going. But this is uh, sorry. Let me cut you off. Um, it's okay. This is like this is legitimate though, and I was trying to think like he was in the Heisman, he was fifth in the Heisman voting in 2014. It didn't matter. Marcus Mariota was going to win. We all know it. Zeke Elliott was the favorite coming into the season. He quickly fell behind the rest of the field. Braxton Miller was his receiving votes, Doug. But did anyone ever think Braxton was actually going to win the Heisman? No, he was fifth the one year and didn't get an invite in 2012, but was never quite to that point. Since Troy Smith won it, I think this is the most legitimate Heisman chase Ohio State has had. We thought. I mean, I can show you my Terrell Pryor Heisman stories, like my preseason Terrell yeah. Pryor Heisman stories that never really held up during the season. They were number one in 2010 for a week before they went up to Wisconsin. That's what I was going to compare the Penn State loss to if they would have lost. They went up to Wisconsin as number one, and Wisconsin returned the opening kick for a touchdown oh, uh, mm-hmm. and that season again. But, like, but you know, Pryor, Pryor's spectacular. Yeah. But then never never quite had all the stuff to really be a guy. Um but when you think about, yeah, that they had Terrell Pryor and Braxton Miller at quarterback, and neither of those guys ever got to New York, and now it's like JT 
who uh, – can I – I'm going to drop this here because I didn't know how to work it into a story. I still might work it into a story, but again, we give you guys bonus stuff on a podcast and then we're going to be done soon. Mm-hmm. So remember after the Nebraska game, it was like JT was playing solitaire on his oh, phone. Oh, yeah, you asked him after the game what he was doing. Yeah, I asked him after the game because he was playing on his phone again after the Penn State win while Urban Meyer was talking. But he was over in the corner so nobody could see it. And after he left the podium, I said, were you playing solitaire again? He's like, oh, no, I was playing this game called Spite and Malice. And it's like a fancy version of Solitaire. It's like the brand name of Solitaire. And he like was showing it to me on his phone. He's like, oh, he's like, it was the most excited he was the whole post game <laughs> to show me with a game on his phone. But it's like if you wanted to write like the JT Barrett silences the haters column, which like I'm not going to write because I think that's the wrong way to look at this. And then JT Barrett got back in his phone to play one more game. Of Spite and Malice. Spite and Malice sounds like an offshoot of like a Final Fantasy game or an RPG game, not like a card game. Yeah, like actually in the game, it like it looks like you're playing cards, but then there's a part where like you're a quarterback and you throw footballs and like explode the head of media members and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought that was funny. It's like it was too like if you wanted to go down the hater road, it was like lead anyone, yeah. ribbon on the end of your story, anyone you want to finish. You want to get third place in the Football Writers Association best game story and cast that $75 check next January, anyone? check for one of them? I got like 50 bucks for an Aaron Craft story one time. Oh, I only got an honorable mention. That's why I didn't get a check. Spite and Malice. And that was Buckeye Talk. No, not quite yet. So anyway, <laughs> is that it? Anything else? I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So listen, we got more stuff coming this week with Iowa. Um, you know, we got the Michigan game coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, Michigan State's always interesting. There's just this, like the Dan, you know, Michigan State could win that just because Mark D'Antonio is their coach. Go look at the 17-16 game. Was it 17-16 last year? Mm-hmm. It was 17-16 and 12, I think, too. 17. He's D'Antonio. He D'Antonio's you. So that'll be a fun week. Um, this is this is a really interesting week because if they had lost, this would have been a very different podcast. It would have been all about Wyatt Davis, Chase Young. Dwayne Haskins, Jalen Harris, and recruiting. Key debates the up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not. Instead, we're talking about playoff stuff. So if you're an Ohio State fan, you should appreciate that. So anyway, thanks to you guys for listening. Find our writing at cleveland.com slash OSU. Find our podcast on iTunes and anywhere else you find podcasts. Look for Buckeye Talk. Follow us on Twitter at Tim Bielek at BillLandis25, at Doug Maurice. We appreciate you guys. We're going to do something for either the Michigan State game or Illinois game. We're going to hang out with you guys before the game in a parking lot. Uh, we'll get details on that. But for now, we're going to Iowa this weekend. We're going to go eat. We're going to, we might slaughter the hog ourselves and then eat it. You guys up for slaughtering a hog? Yeah, man. Yeah. Get me in. It's not quite... Meat on swords like Brazilian steakhouses, but I'm interested. No, yeah. We get the live hog, we stick it on a sword, and then we cook it ourselves and eat it. Um, okay. Like a candy apple. So, uh, well, if that happens, it's going to be a heck of a Buckeye talk a week from now. Um, anyway, thanks to you guys. We always appreciate you guys, appreciate you guys listening. I think our, our uh, podcast after the Penn State game, post-game podcast, got uh, our highest viewing yet this year. So you guys are in on it. You guys are in. So, for Tim Bielek and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.